Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. I am delighted to be joined, I would love to say in studio, but the reality is we're in my bedroom. I'm joined by Ashlyn Keenan, host of Private Education Podcast, and I guess I'm going to call you like a sex and relationships expert. Don't tell my, yeah, it's fine, but don't tell my parents (laughs) or my husband. She's really good at sex. (laughs) I'm really good at relationships. No, I am not. Uh, I, well, what I am is the host of a sex and relationships podcast, as you said, and then also over the course of time. I used to write a sex column and I did for years and I've interviewed a lot of experts so in a similar way that you like might not have the piece of paper that says you know yeah no we I think similarly like we distill the experts info into something that you can actually put into action in your own life exactly exactly. Um, and demystify and I also think it's really important always to like draw from your own experience with I think with relationships you kind of have to yeah um and you've had lots of experience there yes that's fair <laughs> no but how can everyone like you've been sleeping no, around <laughs> no well I mean listen we everyone like no matter what you do in your life from the time you're a teenager until whatever age like you all you do is have relationships yeah whether it's friendship platonic relationships whether it's family sexual relationships yeah. whether whatever it is so we're constantly always navigating relationships so yes I have lots of experience and I, you know, I've had a fair amount of sex, I'm going to say. Well done. Go you. <laughs> so the the reason that I asked you on this podcast um, was I get a lot of messages from people asking me for specific advice around anxiety uh, in relationships. Mm-hmm. And so mostly like romantic relationships. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of messages about um, trying to come back to yourself after a breakup. There's so many there's so many different like areas in a relationship and um, whether you're in it or not in it or waiting for it or getting over it where anxiety could come about and it actually 
like it's probably one of the most commonly experienced anxieties mm-hmm. um because like you say we all have relationships yeah um so I wanted to be able to answer some of those questions as best we could I yeah. mean like we're, we're both just kind of feeling it out um and see if we can understand a little bit more about why anxiety is present in relationships and um, why why it might rear up and whether anxiety in a relationship is an issue or par for the course mm-hmm. um so uh, from from my experience I had a lot of anxiety in previous relationships and for me it was very clear that they weren't the right ones I have next to no relationship or next to no anxiety in my relationship right now and um, which would make me kind of jump to the conclusion that anxiety is probably something to be a little bit concerned about in a relationship what do you think yeah I mean it definitely is something to be concerned about but like that you kind of have to look at yourself first I would say in terms of if it's anxiety you're feeling because if you have a generalized anxiety disorder that might be absolutely you know poking at that like there might be anxiety where none is really necessary so if it is something that you're thinking okay this might be me have have a look look inward chat with therapists all that kind of stuff but then also if you're in a relationship and you're feeling a lot of anxiety where you wouldn't normally be an anxious person, mm-hmm. that is probably more of a, a red flag than anything, um, it, you know, because there must be a cause for it. Either you feel like you're not in the right relationship or the person that you're with is, you know, I don't know, gaslighting you or, you know, causing you these yeah, issues. Yeah, I, I remember in like previous relationships, and I only, I've only really had like three major relationships in my life. My mm-hmm. first boyfriend when I was literally like a raw infant teenager I mean, <laughs> small child he was grooming you yeah I was I think I was 14 going on 15 to 18 but they were formative years mm, yeah very um, much and that so. was my first sexual experience and it was not a good one and it has left scars around uh all of that it's a whole other conversation yeah. then my second kind of what I thought was like the love of my life was um 18 to 23 or 4 mm-hmm. and then Barry uh the current current the current husband, husband. Um, <laughs> but I remember feeling that all of that anxiety around not you know not knowing if I could trust him or being insecure and needing more and wanting more reassurance and I remember feeling so like it's so easy to be to feel in that vulnerable position that it's just you and that you're being ridiculous because if especially if they tell you that Mm -hmm. but what I've learned since you know being in a healthy relationship whether or not I'm an anxious person if I feel supported and loved and there's open communication, um, like I was absolutely justified in feeling how I was feeling. Yes, it's often course, it's yeah. often a symptom of what's going on. Yeah. But it is hard to tease apart. Like I guess if someone's had a bad experience with a relationship carrying that over, it might well be a case of like you're in this habit of thinking that someone's like less into it because someone in a previous relationship was that yeah, way yeah um, you've kind of nailed it there like as in previous relationships really do have a big role to play in dictating what happens in your next relationship and your next one after that and I think there's kind of two things at play there the first thing is obviously like age and maturity so if if, if something happens in a relationship when you're in your late teens or early 20s or even younger than that that can really it kind of it happens at the time where you're turning on your relationship awareness and you you're forming in your head what a relationship what a romantic relationship feels like to you so if that initial relationship is set up with someone who is um very critical or very uh you know closed off emotionally or very 
Um, you know, if you have kind of different love languages, even like I'm sure you've spoken about them on the podcast I before. Haven't. Oh, have you not? No, okay, please, so. please tell. I actually, I'm so like unaware of this. Okay, so love languages basically, there's like five or six. I'm again, I'm not an expert, but I know that one of them is, you know, uh, good deeds. So if if you're and you can take a test actually online and find out what your love language is and what your partner's one is, because there's no point in finding out what yours is and not also checking. So is in this on your where we is this where we assume that like the only way to show love is to be like saying I love you and being affectionate exactly. and there are other exactly. modes okay. and and what what's important to you versus what's important to your partner can mean that you come in at kind of loggerheads so say yeah. for instance the top thing on my love languages is quality time mm-hmm. the top thing on my, one of my best friends love languages is physical contact so hugs and um, intimacy fit like physical hand holding that yeah. kind of thing my thing is quality time. The other one is, which is obviously, you know, it is exactly what it says. Spending time together, one-on-one, looking at each other, talking to each other, communicating, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Another love language is um, good deeds. So, you know, somebody might feel loved by their partner, you know, emptying the dishwasher without them having to ask or mm-hmm. making the bed for them or whatever the case might be, you know, get, filling their car with petrol when they didn't, you know, yeah. have to do it themselves. That type Being of thing. Being considerate exactly. in those little ways. Yeah. Exactly. And so that might seem a little bit more far removed from the way we traditionally think of showing love. Exactly. Yeah. But for some people, like, I mean, physical touch was really low down. I think my physical touch need, I suppose, was about 10% or less. Okay. I mean, obviously, occasionally everyone likes a hug oh, and yeah, everyone yeah. likes to be, you know, but if like if we were watching television, myself and my husband watching television at the end of the day, I wouldn't be wanting to hold his hand. No, or I would I want either. him to be like cuddling me on the couch. No, I would like to use him as a, like a footrest. Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or like an active massaging footrest. Yeah. If that's the end. No, but I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily like, let's have a hug or let's, let's walk down the road holding each other or anything like that. But for some people, that is yeah. a, a top, top thing. Okay. Likewise, good deeds for me. I mean, listen, I'm not going to object to the dishwasher being emptied, but my preference for feeling like I'm connected with my partner is quality time. Okay. And thankfully, I have married someone for whom that is also their top requirement. Amazing. Okay, so I so guess then, works. like, in a generalized way, anxiety might rear its head in a relationship that is otherwise, you know, fine and yeah. well-matched if you speak different love languages totally. and maybe starting there yeah or at least okay obviously starting with looking at your own yeah of course anxiety, yeah, your yeah, own yeah. Past relationships, yeah. but in a relationship that you believe is good and the right one and you know you want to work on it figuring out where you both so I'm going to put that test in the in the podcast notes. Do, I think yeah. that'd be really helpful because yeah. I definitely yeah. have friends like one of my friends she's so physically affectionate and like oftentimes she you know over the years she would have come to me saying she was upset about you know him just not meeting her at that level yeah. and but then like he'll do things for her like go and like handcraft her a car like a valentine's day card made out of like wood or something and yeah. i'm like oh my god like barry would never do that yeah. and then i'm like i don't get anything like that love see, this is the thing it's what's important to you and what's important yeah. to your partner so like a handcrafted card might be you might be like oh my god that's amazing but for her yeah she just wants a hug but so what happens then if you both speak different love languages you have to reach a point of acceptance yeah well you have to reach a point of acceptance but also a point of like consideration and sensitivity to your partner because if you both take the test and you figure out what and and look it's one of those online tests it's it's not scientifically accurate by any stretch but it does give you a good idea of what's important to you in a relationship 
And so if you both take the test and you have different love languages, communicate that. So say, well, my top thing is quality time. Your top thing is good deeds. What I'll try to do for you is I'll try to do more good deeds. I'll try to, you know, put your wash on for you when you're not in the house. I'll try to, whatever the, the case might be, I might try and, um, like, like one another one of them actually is gift giving. So okay. some people really appreciate like flowers, a card, yeah. uh, you know, a gesture like that, bringing home your favorite chocolate bar at the end of the day. Um, I, that's not one of my top needs, but yeah. quality time is. So my husband might say, okay, well, this weekend, instead of me bringing her home flowers, what I might do is take that half an hour, come home early from work and we'll spend it together with the baby or we'll spend it yeah. together on a walk or whatever it might be. So what the love languages thing does is it gives you just an a, an umbrella kind of guideline of where what might, from. yeah, where you're both coming from and what is important to the other person. And I'm not saying like no one can change themselves to suit their partner's love language. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't do that. You can't suddenly be like, oh yeah, well actually gifts would make it all better you can't you know or <laughs> but being respectful but being respectful of how you both of, express it exactly is, yeah I think that's exactly I mean certainly when I was younger I wouldn't have had any clue about that mm-hmm. and you would just look to like movies and tv for yeah. what it should look like which is dangerous which is dangerous for everything <laughs> yeah. especially for sex and yes. that has been a big thing for me and we'll, we'll get into that and mm. um, before I I mean I got so many questions and um, I asked people to s- send in their mm. their questions and take part in some polls I'd love to ask you You've experienced anxiety in relationships before. How did how did it show up for you? And what was going on? Um, I think for me, the biggest I have well, one relationship that I had was four years long or thereabouts, and the biggest source of anxiety for me within that was that I always felt like I wasn't wanted enough. I felt like like I remember we had been together maybe two years, and I still was like only not allowed allowed is the wrong word. But I remember him saying to me, okay, well, Saturdays and Wednesdays, like you come over on a Saturday, we spend the day together, you spend the night and then Wednesday evenings after we both finish work is our night. And I was like, yeah, fine. And naively, I was like, yeah, fine. And then like I found myself, I'd text him on like a Friday night or something and I'd be like, what are you up to? And he'd be like, oh, nothing, just chilling at home. And I'd be like, me too. And then it'd be tumbleweed. And Mm. I'd be like, like, why why wouldn't you want me? Like, why would you not want to fill that day with or fill that time yeah. with me like yeah. and it made me over so at the start I was like yeah fine we're just you know it's early days grand but deep into the relationship I remember being like this is not this is not right and I remember saying it to my friends and they were like that's bizarre like why wouldn't your partner after that length of time want to see that bit of you know for a couple of extra hours and I just always felt like I was being kind of put in a box and that was where I you know that was where I slotted into his life mm-hmm. and I I couldn't escape out of that box and just be spontaneous and do things whatever it was bizarre yeah. and that so that obviously caused me great anxiety um and there was a whole like the obviously with any relationship there's layers to these things there was obviously like I can look back and see retrospectively what was going on there and what was wrong but I just never felt wanted enough and that caused me anxiety and then how did that influence your behavior then or your feelings or your did that change how you felt about yourself yeah it definitely influenced my behavior first of all because I turned into someone that I don't think I actually am in the sense that I became very needy and very you know like I kind of turned into someone I wasn't familiar with and 
that caused me anxiety because I was like, who is who this? am I? Like, Well, that really bugs me because I remember feeling like the exact same in, in my second biggest relationship where mm-hmm. I just like, he was like horizontal and I was, you know, planning everything. And I was like, I, I like came across so needy and wanting so much more. And like, and I don't with Barry at all because he meets me halfway. I'm yeah. not trying to overcompensate. And I felt like that was, oh, I'm just needy. And like, obviously the word needy has such negative connotations. Yeah. Like, oh God, how dare you have needs in a yes. relationship. Yeah, yeah, and, course. you know, want there to be more than just like a ride and yeah. actual like emotional connection. Yeah. And I really do believe that when people feel that insecure and needy in a relationship, for the most part, there's a reason for it. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I think someone is making you feel that way. And then if you feel like it's your fault, then that creates anxiety that's doesn't even it's not warranted because it's like it's gaslighting really it even, is. If, even yeah. if the person is so unaware of it and yeah. just like god like you're so needy mm. it's it's horrible so how like yeah how did you feel what did how did you get out of that that feeling and, and how does it differ to, to now you're you know in a, in a much better yeah well I, the only way I got out of the feeling and like there was a, there was a lot going on there which is why we're no longer together but the, you know and it wasn't just that there was so much at play and there was so much so much actually going on in the background that I wasn't really aware of even, mm-hmm. uh, which is bad because you probably should know most things yeah. about your long-term partner, but obviously there was a lot there. Um, so I got out of the relationship. I didn't actually, I didn't, you know, you fix it yeah, yeah, within that relationship. I just, I just had to get out of it. And was then, the anxiety yeah. of knowing you should get out of it worse than getting out of it? Uh, probably for a time, yeah. And I definitely put off getting out of it. Like as in, I knew... I'm going to say at least six months before we broke up that we were breaking up. Yeah. And I know that sounds awful. And I No, I think I was about a year. Yeah. <laughs> like I, so I should have done do. it earlier, but it was, it was hard to do. I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to cause, I don't know. I just, it was upheaval. And for me, it was upheaval. For him, it was upheaval. I just didn't want to. And you do have that guilt of, you know, hurting someone or whatever, but it was my decision at the, at the end when it did end. Yeah. But having said that, like, I, you know, I have been dumped in the past, so I know that's not what that was. It was my call, let's say. Yeah. But you I knew, it. I did. I lead, I led the campaign, but I knew he supported it. Yeah, that's exactly the same. As I me. knew that. Like, I know you're yeah. going to make me be the one to do this, but it's because you've actually checked out. Yeah. And you know what? Like, it actually wasn't that he made me do it. You know, it wasn't one of those occasions where he pushed me so yeah. far and then I just had to, you know, call it. It kind of wasn't like that. But I knew when I sat, I literally sat down with him on the bed and I went, we need to talk. And I knew the minute I said that sentence, he knew exactly what was happening. And I knew he supported it. I knew he was going to be like, I agree. Which actually, the minute that happened, I could feel such a weight lifted off my shoulder. I straight away, I straight away felt less anxious. Um, And thankfully, obviously now in my, my relationship with my husband, I don't feel like, just like you, I don't feel like, of course you have fights, you have arguments, you do have underlying things but like I don't feel a general floating dread yeah about the relationship which is you know why I'm still in it <laughs> <laughs> how can someone go about knowing the difference between an issue that they have internally with themselves mm. like for example if you were really if you had really poor body image or you just didn't feel confident in yourself that could transfer onto you thinking that they're maybe not into you and they're not the ones saying that or mm-hmm. showing that oh, versus it being a symptom of the relationship actually not working like how where can someone start with that well that's funny you should say that because the whole like body image thing came up for me in that previous relationship 
And it was as a result of that person that I was with not being very sexually motivated. They did, mm-hmm. we, we didn't meet on the same level in terms of libido. So um, he, he just didn't want to have sex as much as I did. Uh, not that I was knocking on his door 50 times a week <laughs> or anything, but it just we just didn't. Yeah. We didn't match. And that for me, I felt, I did feel anxiety about that because I was like, God, maybe doesn't fancy me maybe my body maybe you know and you do kind of start thinking about that but the only way really to like delineate between is this my anxiety or is this anxiety being you know brought upon me by the person I'm in the relationship with is to talk it out and I would recommend a therapy uh or speaking to your friends because while friends yes they are biased in your favor they probably will have opinions about whether you're partner is gaslighting you or if your and partner have seen is it, I suppose. and they'll have seen things yeah. and they'll have heard things and that you know speak to your most honest friend and um, I like to think I'm pretty honest with my friends and I would always be like no no you're you're the one here you like you're this is your anxiety this mm-hmm. is something that's in your head they're not causing this that's not you know and I will try and help them find out whether actually no it's their partner that's contributing to this body image anxiety or this you know what this trust anxiety or this communication anxiety or whatever way it's manifesting for their relationship but the only way to to really figure it out if you don't already if you don't already have an awareness that you've got an anxiety disorder of some sort the only way to figure that out is through therapy through talking about it and being really really honest I think it's important to say about you how you behave in your relationship how your partner behaves and to look at it in the most, I suppose, fair way possible. Like, try not to place blame. Try not to use blaming language. Because as much as your partner might be to blame for some stuff, it's it's better to come at it from almost like looking at yourself in, you know, as a narrator of your story and going, well, this is what happened in this situation. Be really honest, whether it's with a friend or a therapist. And then from that, it will quickly become clear if, the anxiety is something that you're, you know, is stemming from you and maybe being exacerbated or if it's stemming from them mm. and it's causing you more anxiety. I think even within that, there could be a lot of anxiety for someone who maybe deep down knows there's an issue, but just bringing it up means what kind of can of worms are you going to open? Mm. Where, like, I remember being like, oh, you just, you would want to pretend like there wasn't an issue because if you did say it, it might come to a breakup and mm. you're so frightened of that happening. Um, so there is, there is really like, if you're, it, there, there can be anxiety at every turn. Yeah. And um, should we go through some of the, yes. the questions Let's. and polls that I got? Yeah. I'll just put away my lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't have brought it to the recording. Um, it's very hard to ask questions about this because there's just so many millions of stories. Mm. Um, but I asked people, like, if you've experienced anxiety in your relationship, which have you experienced, if at all? I could only give four options. So I asked people, the fourth option was to DM me if you had a story. Okay. 42% anxiety knowing you're not in the right relationship. 21% anxiety after a breakup. 35% feeling that you're more into it than they are. Okay. So they seem to be really significant drivers of it. Yes. Was getting over a breakup easier or harder than you expected it to be? 67% harder. I wonder, I should have clarified, was that like, were you the the instigator or was it happening to you? Because mm. I imagine if you're the one, well, I say that, but like I was the one who kind of brought it to a head in my last relationship, but I still felt massive anxiety afterwards because I was with him for so long. Yeah, I didn't know what life looked like without yeah. him. I was so frightened about the future and, you know, 
it was it was so scary but I guess if it comes at you like a bat out of hell yeah. it must be so unnerving yeah um, but I don't think I think it actually would be very rare for a breakup to completely come out of the blue if you're not like completely not like not in your right frame of mind because I think in relationships generally whether we talk about it or whether we want to admit it or not we kind of do have an idea of what's going on and we kind of have an idea of if we're happy if our partner is happy and so I think for any no matter what the breakup is whether you have instigated it or whether they have the the level of anxiety is probably going to be pretty similar I would imagine because you're you know you're making a major life change you're making a major life decision whether it's your choice or it isn't Mm -hmm. it's still going to bring about anxiety have you ever felt anxious in a relationship 90% yes Mm. so only 10% of people were like no never um okay so some of the uh let's go through some of the kind of questions and stories okay long-term loving relationship but always assume any unhappiness uh on my partner's behalf is because of me yeah that's a really common one and I have to say and I'll be completely honest I feel that too I take a lot of I think it's probably some level of codependency but I do take on a lot of responsibility for other people's happiness that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that I am currently working through but and I, I think it would be a lifelong thing but it's super common so the first thing I would say to the person who uh, asked that question is to don't think you're alone in that like it's incredibly common for codependency to happen in relationships and for you to feel each other's feelings and let each other's mood determine your mood like I mm-hmm. have definitely experienced in the past if a part if someone that I'm with was in bad form whether it was to do with me or it wasn't I would take that on. Not only would I be in worse form, bad form, but I would be racking my brain trying to think, what did I do? How did I make this anger happen or make this resentment happen or make this sadness happen or whatever it was? Nine times out of 10, it was nothing to do with me, but I would still take it on. And what the advice I kind of got and had to give myself in that instance was, kind of pause yourself before you let that that person's feelings in pause yourself and say to them okay ask them are they okay so check in say are you okay is there anything you need to talk to me about they're going to say no more than likely they're going to you know shut that down because they might not want to talk about it or whatever if they want to talk about it great and you can find out is it something you did or is it not once you find out it's not you can relax a bit you can work on leaving it and if you find out if they if they say no what you can do then is you can say okay look I'm not going to ask you again if you're okay but if you need to come to me with anything I'm here I'm happy to chat to you I'm you know open to sitting and down and would you voice that you're afraid that it's to do with you I think so yeah I think maybe not every time but I definitely would say to kind of in a general if you wanted to have a chat with your partner maybe not at the time of the heightened anxiety or maybe not at the time where you're having this initial kind of are you okay check in but at a time where you're just having a general chat about how your relationship is going which I advise by the way constantly communicating is is good have a chat with them and be like look sometimes you know when I'm asking you're okay and your mood is is low or your mood is kind of whatever it is and I'm take I take that on a lot like so bear that in mind and ask them to just bear in mind when you ask them is everything okay and they don't talk or don't want to talk about it or can't communicate at that particular time say just look that actually sticks with me and that kind of 
affects my mood and it, it affects me and I, I take that on a lot. So bear that in mind. And even having that conversation and making your partner aware that you've taken on their mood and that how they act around you determines how you feel to a certain extent changes everything really mm-hmm. because that you having communicated that first of all takes a bit of the weight off yeah and just addressing it is always like the first step to just vocalizing some it. of the anxiety yeah totally and then secondly it will make them think twice before they turn their mood into your mood yeah you know and it's not they're not doing it intentionally obviously that's on you if you're taking on someone else's mood it is mostly on you but it might make them aware of okay well how can I you know even say if they're say they hate their job and they're coming home every day from work and they're in bad form if you communicate to them that you know that's affecting you and it's affecting your life as a family or whatever it is it's affecting your the, the atmosphere in the house what they might do then is they go, okay, well, I don't want to go home in bad form. What I'm going to do is on the way home from work, I'm going to go to the park, have a 15 minute walk around, try and get back to, you know, the status quo mood wise and then come home yeah. or whatever it takes for them to. Um, but even like I said, even the awareness, even an awareness that they, that that is affecting you will help Yeah. because it'll be in the back of their mind. And they might be a bit more forgiving or they might be a bit more likely to try and regulate their own mood. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Something that I I remember this so well when I see this message. Wondering will it get better and will his behavior change? Because I remember so many situations where it was like his behavior was creating, because I knew full well it was his behavior and not me. Mm-hmm creating this anxiety in me like I was really miserable and you just and like when you have a chat about it and you're like oh like I'm gonna change and you know I'm gonna be better and like I'm sorry about that thing and then you're just like it's fine for a while and then the next it happens again yeah. or and then it's just like after a while you're like it's actually never gonna change and you have this sinking feeling like you can't change someone no you can't and I think that's a mistake 
I mean, it's a mistake that a lot of people make getting into relationships. Um, and I say people, it's not just women because that's the stereotype. We, you know, we want to fix a man or whatever in a heterosexual relationship. That's not the case at all. Both sides of a relationship can get into one thinking that they're going to change or fix or solve some kind of issue with their partner and all of a sudden everything will be better. It doesn't often happen. Now that's not to say it doesn't happen because definitely people can change. For instance, time can change people. So if you're with someone when you're 20 and you're still with them when you're you're 30, you're going to be inevitably completely different people. Mm -hmm. And that one, that one side of that relationship could have evolved into someone who's more mature, who sees things differently, who has actually changed how they behave. Another thing that can change someone is going to therapy. You know, speaking to someone professionally about your issues or about your childhood or about anything in previous relationships, whatever it might be, can actually have a very fundamental uh, impact on how someone behaves within relationships. Um it's highly unlikely that you are going to be able to change someone. So the passage of time, yes. Professional health, yes. You just being a wonderful person, no. And the thing that will happen there is you'll be going, well, I can't change this person. And you'll be changing yourself to make them feel better. So you'll be going, well, what if I was, you know, I don't know, more beautiful? Maybe if I did this to my hair, what if I was funnier? What if I worked harder? What if I kept the house cleaner what if I did you know and you'll be going through you'll be picking yourself apart almost in an effort to help them love you more Mm -hmm. or whatever and that's just a road to nowhere because the person that you're with needs to like you said meet you halfway and love you for exactly who you are at all times good bad and ugly like and I think thinking that behavior will change without some kind of very real intervention or without the passage of time and you just change as it happens as we age is kind of unrealistic. Again, that's not to say in some situations, if you were to have, I think change can happen when someone genuinely isn't aware that a behavior is affecting their partner. And if a conversation is had where they're like, oh my God, I actually wasn't aware of that. Let me look at that. And if you have that conversation and change happens, fantastic. Mm -hmm. However, if you have that conversation or if you have a genuine, real, very serious discussion and be like, look, this behavior affects me in this way and you give it time and it doesn't change or it changes and then goes back to normal, it's it's unlikely to be a lasting change. Mm-hmm. So that's something to bear in mind. And that's really hard. That's a hard pill to swallow for anybody. Yeah, really hard. Because you could be in a relationship that otherwise is you know makes you happy or otherwise is quite fulfilling or whatever but if there's one sticking point that constantly comes up and you've had a conversation about it and over the course of time it hasn't made a difference that behavior will keep cropping up and it will keep being an issue for you so yeah. you have to make the call there is that something I'm willing to live with or is it not okay and that's really hard this is a really important one and I think this is an anxiety that can be experienced on both sides of the relationship how to learn to trust again when you've been cheated on in every relationship when I say both sides, I mean anxiety, obviously, on the person who's been cheated on that it will happen again, but also a lot of pressure on the person they're with to constantly reassure them that they won't. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine would just feel like a lot. It is a lot. And it's a huge, huge thing. And infidelity happens in more relationships than you might think. And it's so common. That doesn't, that's not, I don't say that to like 
scare people or make people think, you know, it's going to happen to me or anything. But I, I say it to make people know they're that not it's, they're not alone and it, it does happen a lot and for lots of different reasons as well. And like as we move through life and relationships, the reason that people, you know, cheat, change. And the reason for someone cheating is key to whether trust can be rebuilt. Okay. So trust definitely can be rebuilt. Again, things like it's like it's 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 all very similar but things like the passage of time but also going to therapy so if you go to couples therapy after infidelity things can be repaired and even if you don't things can be repaired you can learn to trust again but the anxiety that comes with you know when you're in the process of rebuilding trust when someone has cheated on you or when you've cheated on someone you're totally right in what you said that you'll have your own if you're the person who's been cheated on say you will have your own anxieties around how can I ever trust them? You'll want to check their phone. You'll you'll you will take. Is this on, with the person who cheated on you, or is this in a new relationship where you're just carrying it over? Either okay. either or, because you're the same level of inability to trust will exist within you, whether mm-hmm. you're still with the person that cheated on you or whether with you, you're with a new person, and um, and that can actually be quite difficult for a new relationship for a partner in a new yeah. relationship because they've never done anything. But and if you're staying in the existing relationship, mm-hmm. like say you believe that they can you know reform themselves and there's trust there Mm -hmm. then you bring in this external anxiety of everyone thinks you're a fool for staying with them or the judgment you know of of, like i I, we all know someone who's experienced that where it's like oh like how could she go back to him or how could he go back to her yeah and this is the thing i mean the judgment thing really actually annoys me because no one else is in a position to judge you or your relationship no one actually knows what's going on no like literally nobody no friend no family member no one no one who even lives in your house can know what goes on in a relationship apart from you and your partner and that thing of judgment from friends and family no one understands so you can kind of in a way put that out of your mind it's easier said than done obviously but you can put that out of your mind because the only person's happiness that you need to worry about is your own and I even mean that like you don't even need to worry about your, your partner's happiness. The only person that you you're in charge of, the only you're person whose feelings it. you can control are your own. And so, if that means you know, if friends and family are judging you for getting back with someone who's cheated on you, they they're not in the same position. They don't they don't know. They don't understand. So you don't have to worry about them. But at the same time, there is no shame or judgment that should come for someone who stays in a relationship. There are so many reasons to stay in a relationship after infidelity, whether that's, you know, something like financial reasons, whether it's children, whether it's, you know, time spent, whether, you, you know, yeah. you could and have also, been with someone for so long. There are so long. many reasons to get out of a relationship that don't include infertility or in, infidelity. Yeah, absolutely. That we just think that that is the kind of bottom line yeah. deal breaker. Yeah. But someone could be treating you really terribly and not having cheated. Absolutely. And actually you know, you shouldn't be in that. Yeah. You know, so it it goes, it goes both ways. Yeah. This came up again and again, Mm -hmm. and this is more to do with people who struggle with anxiety. And I remember this with getting with, um, with Barry, I was kind of okay at the time, but then very quickly after we moved in together, I experienced the anxiety that led me to all of this. Um, and I was like, Oh my God, he did not sign up for this. Now I had no choice, but for him to see all of it, because I was living with him. Mm -hmm. Um, I know a lot of people feel like, the anxiety comes from how to broach it with a partner because you don't want to scare them off mm-hmm. um but you also live with these whether whatever kind of mental health challenges that you you experience it's almost like a fear of letting them see the real you but I feel that if you were to hide it from 
a potential romantic long-term partner that's creating an anxiety that you don't need because you're trying to live up to this thing that's you're creating a version of you that's not who you are Mm -hmm. and you're not giving the benefit of the doubt to the person that you're with to actually meet you at your level and be like it's okay and normalize it yeah you're almost stigmatizing yourself Mm -hmm. in the relationship by not vocalizing it but I also understand that it can be really scary to be like you know when do you bring that up how do you how do you bring up the serious heavy shit at what point so that it's like they can opt out if they want to but you don't want to go there on like a fun lighthearted date it's mm-hmm. it's really it's really tricky yeah i think the issue of bringing or introducing anxiety into a new relationship if if it's something that you struggle with is very difficult to know it's very difficult to know when to do it yeah but it's very important that you do and i think i actually do think it's important that you do it early and think of it this way so many people suffer in so many ways with issues right whether it's anxiety whether it's OCD whether it's you know some kind of health concern like a physical health concern whether it's a family issue that they're having whether it's you know an an ex that they're having trouble with whether it's you know they have children and they're trying you know there are so many reasons why people like everyone's going through something do you know what I mean so when you're meeting someone and you're dating them and you say, well, look, I actually really struggle with anxiety. I always have. Or whether it's, you know, I'm actually, I don't know, diabetic and I have to take insulin this many times a day and I wear a pump. Or yeah. whether it's I had, you know, Crohn's disease as a child and now I wear a stoma bag or whatever yeah. the thing is. Like whatever your thing is, you have to, it's part of you. And you're right, stigmatizing yourself plenty of people are going to stigmatize you stigmatizing yourself is not where you want to start a new relationship and so I genuinely would you know urge anyone who has any kind of anxiety issue bring it to the person that you're dating early doors as if it's nothing right because it doesn't have to be a big thing I I think like if I achieve my goal of getting it normalized it's the same way you're like oh yeah I'm into Man United oh yeah like I struggle with anxiety sometimes Yeah. yeah and listen if the person that you're across the table from is like holy shit, and packs up their bags and legs it out the door. That person wasn't for you anyway. No, you don't. You're yeah. not missing anything there. And yes, you might have liked them. And yes, you might have thought it was going to go somewhere, whatever. That's fine. Like, realistically, what would have happened there is you would have got into the relationship, showed them who you really are further down the line. And at that point, the whole thing would have blown up. So in a way, the earlier you bring it in, the more you're protecting yourself from potential future difficulty. And the more the earlier you you announce something like that it doesn't even have to be an announcement but the the earlier you tell someone that you know well actually I have OCD or actually I suffer with anxiety or actually I do this or whatever whatever the, the case might be the earlier you do that the yes granted they have a chance to run in the opposite direction if they want but it's also a chance for first of all for them to say well oh my god me too yeah or a chance for them to go okay well this is part of who she is and over the course of time, obviously, you don't want to be like, and this is what happens when I have a panic attack. And this is how many times a year that happens to me. And when we do that, this is the medication I take. And this yeah. is the doctor I go. Like, you don't have to bring that level of detail. Yeah. But you can bring it up in a conversation and be like, well, this is actually how I feel. And this is what I struggle with sometimes. And I'm sure nine times out of ten, you're going to be met with understanding, compassion and empathy. And, and if you're not, if you're not, your, then there's your answer. Your call to action. Exactly. Um. In the dating world, them not replying for days and then acting completely normal. Oh, 
the dating world. <laughs> We're so far beyond that. I am beyond the dating world, but I also hear this so much. And I, I just like, there's nothing that annoys me more. Are than, there rules that people are playing by when they're dating now? Like, this is always a trope in movies. Like, oh, you don't leave it for 48 hours. Like, I just can't. There, there, there are, but there shouldn't be. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, dating is not some kind of tournament that people enter. And granted, the internet hasn't helped with that because it has kind of things like Tinder and Bumble and whatever have kind of gamified dating. They've turned dating into this thing to be completed and to be achieved and to tick boxes and to get the numbers up and to whatever. And whatever way you use date naps or whatever way you're on the scene in dating, if something feels like a game, don't play it. Like just remove yourself from that narrative. And if someone else is, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, I had a really good time on that date, but no, I'm going to wait for two days to text them because I don't want to seem too eager. That's nonsense. If you are the type of person that wants to send a text immediately after date is finished and that is what you want to do and that's what feels good, you do that. And if you are the type of person that might forget about it for a couple of days and then text them, do that also. Do you think more often than not though, like if you don't, like I feel like if I was dating and if I went out and I thought we had a great time, Mm. if I didn't hear from them for like three or four days, I'd be like, they're obviously not into it. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, valid. And I would probably think the same thing. And Or are they just dumb? Like, well, they don't like... I, I don't think... I, I don't think it can be put down to just bare ignorance. But what I would say is not everyone has the same communication style as you, mm-hmm. right? So, well, again, like the communication style will become quickly apparent. So say, for instance, you're texting someone flat out, right? Yeah. And you go, so you're texting, texting, texting all day long, all day long, all day long. Then you go on a date. And this is natural at the start of a relationship. Your communication is higher and you're you're in contact more. Like I think I text my husband about once a week now, even though we're married. Do you know what I mean? But at the start of a relationship, you're in contact a lot. If then you have a couple of dates and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the communication either stops or becomes very, you know, like that three or four days in between a message. It's at that point you can go, well, hang on a second. What happened? What changed there? Like, why all of a sudden, after a few dates, did you leave a three-day gap? What has happened? And it's okay for you to ask that. It's okay for you to be like, I didn't hear from you for, for a few days. Is everything okay? Now, if the communication has always been that way, if it's always been, well, I didn't hear from him for three days, so then we had a lovely date. Didn't hear from him for another three days, then we had another lovely date. But what if it always makes you feel like crap? Yeah. If it always makes you feel like crap, that might be something that, no, I don't want to put put it back on the person that's experiencing it, but it might be something that you have to look at because if it, if there's a massive change in the communication, like I said, if it went from loads and loads and loads to very little, that will obviously cause you anxiety. And that probably is something to be like, to look at. That's probably it. You're not, you know, you're not being mad there. You're kind of going, yeah, actually we were in communication a lot and now we're not anymore. Why has that happened? But if it is just the person's communication style, that just might be the way they communicate or the way they don't. Yeah. For, you know. And have things changed like in the the hetero dating world? Yeah. Um, where, you know, I'm often remember my friends being like, Oh, like he hasn't texted me. It's like, why don't you text him? Like, do we still feel that it has to come from the male counterpart in hetero situations? Um, I think we might feel that way. Because I feel I, I would think... just send a text. I'd just be like, Yeah, I want to hear from you. But I don't know whether that just comes from now being in a position of feeling very secure. Yeah. You know? And you see, this is the thing. We are 
in our 30s we do have a level of maturity we do have a level of security and comfort and you know confidence as well as individuals but also in our relationships so it's very very easy for us to be like I'd just send a text and I'd just do this of course we would yeah we feel safe we feel comfortable we feel confident and mature and we've had relationships we've had experience not everyone feels those things not everyone is like not everyone feels that level of confidence to just be like yeah of course I just send a text mm-hmm. so it can make you feel like crap when someone just drops off the face of the planet I do not think though that there should be rules I don't think in hetero relationships we should wait for the man to text first that is so just old-fashioned and passe and it shouldn't be the case nor should it be <clears throat> excuse me nor should it be the expectation like I don't think a woman getting in touch with a man and being like hey I had a great time last night do you want to do it again I don't think that should be viewed as eager or needy. Yeah. Those tropes need to die, they frankly. They need to die. They really do. Because you expressing to another person who is your equal that you've had a fantastic time and would like to see them again, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Obviously, you know, ringing someone's phone 29 times after midnight is probably a little eager. <laughs> and that's fine to say. But dropping someone a text and, you know, expecting a follow-up, that's not wrong. So if you are going through something like that and someone's communication has changed or has dropped off or whatever it is, you're not wrong to feel anxious about it. And you are also not wrong to follow up and see what the hell has happened. Yeah. Oh, there are so many more questions I want to get to. I think I have time for maybe one or two more. Okay. Um, this is a big one. So say you're in a relationship and it's going really well and then you start to struggle because you compare yourself to other couples and you're thinking, oh, they're way more affectionate than we are. Like, I mean, me and Barry would go to an event now and we wouldn't see each other from one end of the night to the next because mm-hmm. we're just like, we're past that point of spending time together like that, yeah. you know, because when we yeah. go out, we're like, yay, other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember I used to be like, because you never, you need to come over and like, give me kisses and show me affection. It's like, oh, Caroline, like relax. Like he doesn't just, yeah. to, just to appear to be. Yeah. Well, know, look, that's a big thing. It is. And it's a really easy one to answer. First of all, appearances mean nothing. Like mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. So if you are conscious that, oh, well, my partner hasn't come near me for the night like that's neither here nor there if it's something that you wouldn't normally do it, it like in yeah. in your regular everyday life why should it all of a sudden start to happen when you're out and about in front of other people and the reason that that question is simple to answer is because literally when it comes to relationships no one else except you two matter so if you guys are happy if you day to day are happy with the amount of you know physical contact if you're happy with the amount of time you spend together if you get along really well if whatever the case might be if you feel content and you know for a certain amount of certainty that your partner feels content nothing else no one else's relationship matters because every single relationship is so different there are couples out there who might not speak to each other from one end of the week to the next but are the happiest people on the planet there's there are couples out there who are constantly phoning each other and talking and then when they get home they talk more and they might be the happiest people on the planet there might be people who have sex five times a week who are delighted five times a year also delighted Mm -hmm. there is no um template there's no template for a happy relationship and likewise what we see at an event or on instagram or at a family gathering or on a in a film or tv show none of those things are representative of who's happy how happy they are and what happens behind closed doors you can never ever ever know what's going on in someone else's relationship in in actuality unless you are in it so the only way the only thing that matters is how you both feel and how you interact with each other and outside of that 
literally nothing else matters. Okay. Wondering how much arguing is, you know, too much or mm. where the norm is there. Again, we're looking for norms all the time. Yeah, constantly, yeah. I've often felt, because like Barry and I, we really honestly don't argue at all to the mm. point that I remember hearing all these things like, oh, arguing is passion and it means you're firing. I'm like, oh shit, we don't, we don't do that. And I, I remember I used to kind of walk into the flames of arguments when I was younger because you kind of thrived on it and mm. it would get a reaction and maybe they would, maybe you would make up and then have this whole like increased affection and love. So I think the arguments, I needed them as some sort of sign of like it being something we're both fighting for. And now it's like, it's so different and I just don't want to spend my time arguing with him. Like we still, we bicker, we get annoyed at each other. Like, of course that happens, but we ha- we do not like storm off from each other and not speak. And even though that's what you think you'd want, sometimes I, I have been anxious about it mm. um, because I think people who argue a lot then will be quick to say, you should be arguing, it's normal. And it's, you know, you should, you know, I don't know. I don't I, know. I think when, when, when people, when other people say, or say when like, I don't know, you hear a professional or an expert or whatever say fighting is normal, you know, everyone should be able to have arguments. It's, it's in a way it's to, to make it okay that yes, you will have arguments and, and having a fight and fighting with your partner is normal. And there's no relationship that doesn't experience that. That's a way of indicating to the general public that there's no relationship that doesn't go through ups and downs and there's no relationship that doesn't have conflict the thing to remember though is what way you both respond to conflict some mm-hmm. people respond very quietly so yourself and Barry obviously don't have standing up screaming matches in no. the kitchen that your neighbours can hear my husband and I don't either however there are couples that interact that way mm-hmm. there are couples that raise their voice to each other there are couples that will slam a door or storm out or and I did all of that with my family totally like, and, and and that might be you see this is why it's so it's so unique to a couple because like that you could you've done that in the past with family you've probably I've done it, things like that with friends I've had mm-hmm. stand-up rows with friends whatever like your communication style within your romantic relationship is unique in your life you don't have that exact same communication style with everyone else in your life so you have to take it as kind of an an island in a sense but then also bear in mind that not every couple's communication style is the same so for some people having that big screaming match and having that really passionate fiery thing is a way of communicating it's not right it's not wrong it's just their way Mm -hmm. likewise you having a quiet sit down discussion about something at the end of the week like my husband and I we make lists so during the week, if something pisses me off about him, I'll write it down, not physically, but on my phone normally, my notes app, and he'll do the same. And then on a Sunday or whatever, we'll sit down and go, right, what's on your list? And if there was a couple of things during the week, you know the way they say pick your battles? Yeah. So we write down our battles and we have them all together in a, in a go. And that is that's how we argue. That's how mm. we work through. We don't stop in the middle of our day and go, well, why the fuck did you not do X, Y, Z? Like, blah, and have a, have a go at each other in that way. We wait, we take a breath. We come back to it at a later time. That actually helps in more ways that's than one. That's very mature, yeah. But I'm it, way more impulsive. <laughs> but but it but that's our style because yeah. I wouldn't be particularly impulsive, and I don't think he would either. We're both quite laid back when it comes to stuff like that. But then we are different from the people who live next door to us. Mm-hmm. We're different from you and Barry. We're different from like every relationship is completely different. So there is no how many times you should argue or should you be arguing. If you're not arguing, great. There's obviously nothing wrong. If you are arguing quietly, also great. You know, you're expressing how you feel. You're getting things off your chest. 
there's no cookie cutter way to argue. Likewise, there's no cookie cutter number of arguments you should be having for it to be a, a healthy or unhealthy relationship. And yes, arguments happen, but it doesn't mean that they have to be happening. Okay. It means that when they happen, that's okay. You know, for so when someone says it's okay to fight in relationships, that's just an indicator to be like, look, fights will happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to happen. Okay. So if you're not arguing with your partner and you still feel happy and you you think to your best estimation that they're also happy, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink it. Yeah. And an argument will happen one of these days and you'll be like, <laughs> fuck, why did I wish for this? <laughs> okay, last question I got. It wasn't so much a question um, mm. and I feel like this one would be quite hard to answer. Mm. Um, someone messaged me and said, I'm in my mid to late 30s and um, all of my friends have settled down and they're married and having babies mm-hmm. and I've had, you know, one relationship after another that didn't work out and I'm really afraid that I won't meet someone. Um, the best thing to do there is to acknowledge that you may not meet someone. Mm. and that is hard and that is something that's terrifying and again coming from someone who's in a relationship it sounds very patronizing I'm aware of that but if you and this again is such a cliche but if you are constantly on the lookout for someone if you if you're waiting to complete your life with a partner if you're waiting for this other half that people talk about that's not you're not going to be fulfilled you're always going to be trying to fill that gap and I'm not saying going you know take up hobbies or you know I'm not saying that that's not what I'm getting at here but what I'm saying is being in a relationship is lovely and it's great and it's supplementary to your hopefully already very full life it's not essential I think you and I Caroline would both be fine without our husbands yes I really feel like I would be you would be and so would I I didn't feel like that in past relationships no yeah and like look there are people who who feel like, God, if I didn't have my husband, I wouldn't be okay. And that's also fine. Or if, if I didn't have my boyfriend, I wouldn't be fine. That is that is okay to feel that way. But please know that having a partner, a romantic partner, doesn't define you and isn't the meaning of your life. The meaning of life is, you know, family, love, um, children. And none of those things are off the table just because you don't have a romantic partner. Yeah. None of those things are off the table. And part of that, is, again, is going back into the cycle of comparison where and these like measures of success that we have been brought up to believe that like getting a house, having a kid, getting married, like that those are the things that you've, oh, you've achieved. And if you haven't, you're some sort of failing. Totally. Um, And I, it'd be very hard not to feel like left behind when all your friends are ticking those boxes and you haven't. But the, here's the thing, right? Like all your friends that are in relationships and say have families or have children or whatever the case might be, they're probably looking at you in the same way going god do you remember when I was single and I could just take off and do what I wanted and do you remember before we had kids when we could sleep in every goddamn day of the week and you know do whatever we wanted with our time everyone you know it it, it, it is kind of grass is always greener but at the same time you know your life can be full and happy the, the key to happiness is not found within a relationship mm-hmm. and the key to happiness is not found you know having having happiness isn't something that you go okay la, da, 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 I've gone through my life I've got a boyfriend got married got a child got a house tick I'm happy now that is not how it happens it's not linear happiness is something or even contentment if you don't want to say happiness yeah. it's something that's it's a journey and it's something that you're going through on an ongoing basis and trying to I don't want to say achieve but it's just 
a state of being. And if you're not in a relationship now and you're worried that you might never be, it might not happen, but also it might. And you fill in your life with everything else, making yourself find like find that contentment in your job, whether it's travel, whether it's your family, whether it's nieces and nephews, whether it's trying to have a child solo, whatever that might be, whatever that looks like for you is far more important than putting on, you know, blinkers and only focusing on a relationship or like this relationship will be the key that unlocks my contentment because I can promise you it absolutely won't be Mm. and I can also promise you that there is so much more to life than simply being in a relationship really really brilliant advice Ashing um will you come back and do an episode with me on friendship anxiety yes because I feel like that is such a big one oh my god we've so much to talk about so much to talk about um, but it is, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation thing, um, yeah. and it is definitely like a more kind of subtle anxiety that we feel like mm. it's kind of, it's, it's more cut and dry in a romantic relationship, I feel, yeah. than it is in friendships. And I think often you find more uh, willing to talk about relationship anxiety with your friends, but who do you go to to talk about your anxiety that you're experiencing within your friendships? It's really tough. You yeah. Know? Well, you can listen to our podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Where can people find you? They can find me. I'm all of it on the internet. Um, <laughs> at Ashling M. Keenan on all the platforms. And the podcast is Private Education. And that's at Private Education Podcast on Instagram as well. And uh, yeah, there's are you ready six for... episodes up if you want to go wow. back through and listen. Are you ready for an influx of DMs asking you to solve people? Oh, I'm flat out in the DMs. I am flat out. And that's why, like, but this, I love them because it gives me fuel for the podcast. Yeah. Like I had a, I had a DM last week asking about vaginismus, which is the physical inability to have penetrative sex. And so I went, oh my God, this is an issue for people. And so I went and got an expert and I did an episode on it. So DM me because it just gives me fuel for the pod amazing it's so important to be having these conversations and um, can't have enough of them and you know whether it's something like specific like that or relationship anxiety everyone experiences relationships everyone experiences that mm-hmm. side of life and we need to talk about the bits that are hard to talk about and normalize them and um, so thank you so much for coming back to me and i hope you'll come back again soon i absolutely will thanks so much caroline thank you for listening i hope you found this episode helpful As always, I really appreciate your feedback, your reviews and your likes and shares. If you send it on to a friend who might find it helpful, it means the world. Make sure that you are subscribed wherever you get your podcast, that you don't miss the next episode. And be sure to follow me on Instagram over at Owning It Podcast, where I share clips, tips, lots of information. um, And I promise to, to get better over there and share a little bit more often. Thank you so much and take care of yourself. 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.